Hey, this is the Last Coffee House. I'm looking at, or coffee, I'm looking at some articles. And what I wanted to do, I just want to, I have the app Pocket. And in the app Pocket, I've had for a long time now. And I've got about 5,000 articles in that app saved, of my best estimation, about 5,000 articles saved in that app. So I am trying to catch up on what I've got going on in there. This is just a miscellaneous freestyle kind of episode where I'm just going through some of the articles that I have saved and see what I run into and what we've what we've got to talk about here. I save a lot of interesting stuff, but it's just gonna it's gonna be random. I'm just scrolling to a random section of six articles and I'm going to see what to say. I haven't read these before, so I'm just gonna do some cursory responses to each one of these things. This one's called I didn't become a Republican to own the libs with Kavanaugh, so I'm leaving the GOP. Okay. The Senate confirmed Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court on October 6th after sexual assault allegations surfaced against the judge. The battle for the votes of a few key senators was exceedingly bitter, pitting the principle of due process and the Me Too movement against each other in a fight for control of the high court. I believed simultaneously that Christine Blasey Ford was a credible accuser, that Kavanaugh was owed a certain presumption of innocence, and that the right thing for the White House to do was withdraw the nomination. The GOP ended up pulling off a purely partisan victory in confirming Kavanaugh, but it came at too high a cost for even a Republican like me to stomach. And then the article, I'm not going to read the whole article, it's not, it's not very long, honestly, but the second section is titled, The GOP's Obsession with Owning the Libs, and this one is specifically titled, No Pride in this Republican Supreme Court Win, that's the last section, so I'm not going to read, like I said, all of this stuff. Okay, and this person's, uh, the writer is Stephen Kent, writing for USA Today, it's an opinion piece. So number one, uh, White House, uh, he suggests that he thought Ford was a credible accuser, I have, I have some of my thoughts on there. I have more thoughts related to that that I can get into at some point. Probably when I respond to Sam Harris, he gave a very explicit opinion on this whole Blazy Ford Judge Kavanaugh thing, and I thought he was shockingly off base, so probably in that I'll go over some of the, the structural problems with, with everything around that accusation. But this particular writer here in this article talks about how he felt, okay, she was a credible accuser, Kavanaugh was owed a presumption of innocence, despite it not being a criminal proceeding, which I appreciate that, and that the right thing for the White House to do was to withdraw the nomination, which is incredibly questionable for me. Maybe it's just my <laughs> educational pedigree, but if you establish this kind of a precedent that even a completely uncorroborated accusation against a Supreme Court nominee is sufficient to derail their nomination, why not expand that to senators, uh, to House representatives, to the president, to anybody else who gets elected, or anybody else who's going to be in a, an important position, or how about anybody who's already in that position? There has to be some kind of a standard, and you're establishing a standard whether you want to or not. Just kicking it, kicking the can down the, the road in this particular instant, instance, that doesn't do anything to establish that standard in a way that makes sense. It would just, a withdrawal of the nomination suggests that this is sufficient. That completely uncorroborated accusation is enough to end this kind of a process, which I think is has extremely concerning ramifications long term if you allow that to be the case. And that's easy to see, but so I don't agree on that point. Uh, this, this particular writer apparently was a 
a member of the grand old party and now is disenchanted because of the things that he's talking about. Uh, the second category that he talks about is the obsession with owning the libs. And I am 100% on board with having a concern about that from either side. If that's your, I mean, ideology in itself is a freaking problem. So in the first instance, I have a problem with this guy. Just, I was on their side because I'm on their side, but just ideology is a problem. It shouldn't be what's governing your determinations on all these different kinds of questions. And I think to positively reference Sam Harris, Sam Harris talked about how it's weird that you can know a person's position on one issue and know with very high confidence what their position is going to be on every other major political issue. That's concerning. It should not be that the case. And that's why we can have a down the middle demarcation between Americans. So in this, uh, having problems with owning the libs, <laughs> you know, if, if that's the goal, I, I appreciate that. And I, I can see that. And I think you should leave the Republican party because you don't want to be ideologically wedded to either side. I definitely don't think it's a good idea in, in practice or theory to just be ideological, ideologically wed to anything. It's something that you should be evaluating on its own merits at any given time. Certainly slightly more fun to see people get owned rather than corrected or you know redirected or whatever else, but that's an obsession that neither side should have is, is owning the one. But I think it's, it's certainly been more predominantly the successful ones have been more predominantly on the Republican side lately, for sure. But the reality is they definitely seem to be more in the right lately when it comes to virtually any nationally recognized issue that has come up. It's just moral outrage on one side and argument on the other. That's not acceptable. But this particular guy is disenchanted with Trump in general and now disenchanted with the party. That's all. That's fine. I don't... That doesn't do much for me. All right, but... That's, that's the first article. Second article, it's called The 26-Hour Playlist Featuring Music from Haruki Murakami's Latest Novel, Killing Commendatore. But I certainly understand that. And I, re I listened to some of this when I heard this. I listened to some of the songs that were in the in the playlist and they sounded quality. So I think I want to... There were a lot of stories about Murakami's Killing Commendatore when, uh, when it came out. But I have not read it. And I'm feeling a particular affinity for Japanese sensibilities lately, so I will definitely have to check that out. What does it have on a collection of music from Shell Crow, Puccini, The Modern Jazz, Quartet, Mozart, Thelonious Monk, Verdi, Dylan, The Doors, Beethoven, Bruce Springsteen, Roberta Flack, The Beatles, The Beach Boys, and more. Love the mix in there, so... Yeah, that's definitely something worth checking out, and I'm definitely looking forward to reading this. Of course, I'm reading 100 books right now, so I, I'm not going to add this one yet, but it's, it's going to be on my list. Okay, so thanks, Murakami. Alright, the next one is There Is No God and No Afterlife. Hawking concludes in final book. I completely agree with that. I think based on all the information that we have, that is a very justified conclusion to reach. So I'm with you there, Stephen. Obviously you are not around to hear it, but so it says God doesn't exist, aliens do exist, and time travel might still be possible, Stephen Hawking says in a book he wrote before his death. Aliens, you know, uh, something that interested me deeply when I was a child, but it is something that what am I saying? I mean, I think, yes, 100%, there are, there's other life out there. Uh, life, the demarcation between life and non-life, it's it's kind of uh, arbitrary. It's just what looks to us to be moving internally versus what looks to us to not be moving internally, but, you know, whatever. It's the same principles that govern whether a rock's flying through the air or whether I'm speaking into a microphone about all sorts of complex topics, not a particularly complexly at this, <laughs> this point, but these are just surveys, just general surveys. 
Anyway, and time travel seems to me like a ridiculous nonsense of a concept. It's like, was it Einstein who said that, that time is a persistent myth? Persistent, but a myth nonetheless. Something like that. So it doesn't, I mean, it seems really odd, but if you kind of take a, I don't know, uh, what are two movies that did this and such? There's the, um, what's that one? It's Christopher Nolan. It's got Matthew McConaughey. What is that one? It is Interstellar. Yeah, so that was a fun little time travel kind of thought experiment. One of the one of the coolest situations was when he went down on that one planet where time functions differently. That was, that was awesome. And then the way that it happened later and the other movie is that one with the aliens with, with what? What's her name? Oh, what's that one? She was in the Superman movie. She was Lois Lane. And that one is called... I can see the cover of it. I just can't remember what it was called. But everybody knows what I'm talking about. It's the one where it was like time was all... Because of the way the alien's language functioned, time was all at once. So it was like time travel, but it was just because all of it was at the same time. But anyway, that was Arrival. That's what it was. No, it wasn't Arrival, was it? <laughs> <laughs> like the Charlie Sheen movie? Was that what it was? I don't know. So yeah, that's another time travel one. I mean, I think this article is, is just talking about... It's just taking a couple of quotes out of his out of his book. What are, what are some of the things he said? Travel back in time can't be rolled out according to our present understanding, he says, adding within the next hundred years, we will be able to travel to anywhere in the solar system. Why just the solar system? Curious. That would be pretty awesome. Hopefully they uh, cure that whole death thing so I can be around to see that stuff. Quote, with Brexit and Trump now exerting new forces in relation to immigration and the development of education, we are witnessing a global revolt against experts and that includes scientists. And I'm certainly concerned when it comes to like global warming and I don't, like, none of us are experts except for the experts when it comes to global warming but yes, there are certainly reasons to be concerned and question whatever conclusions any experts come to if they're in a particular scientific area and they, their funding is based on the thing being true. There are reasonable grounds to say you have to question this in some way. When it's more understandable and it it's widely circulated and understood and explained, then there's less concern of that, obviously. It's like it's out there, it's open, you can you can verify whether it's correct or not. And if something doesn't seem correct, then you can base your skepticism on that. So I can understand, you know, some skepticism on some side. I personally think that it's sufficient for me that the drastic alteration of our atmosphere, whether it's <laughs> pejoratively global warming or not, <laughs> global cooling or just intensifying storms or not doing anything that's particularly clear to us on any given day, I think it's completely justified to simply say drastically altering our the composition of elements in our atmosphere is enough for me to say that's a concern and we need to do something about it. So anyway, I, I'm pretty much in line when it comes to being concerned about Donald Trump having issues with global warming or going against science in any given way. Although I don't, like he says a bunch of dumb things, but then he, the things that he follows through on often aren't as ridiculous as what he says. So that's a a little encouraging. I, I think he's a little more pragmatic than a lot of people are willing to recognize. So that could be good, uh, but he's also, he's a little doltish. He's not all the... <laughs> So it's, it's rough. You know, I don't want to disparage people or call people names or anything like that. I, I'm just trying to recognize what's going on out there. So whatever the case, um, I'm just, I'm talking about just going on a riff about global warming now. Who cares? What lies ahead for those who are young now? I can say with confidence that their future will depend more on science and technology than any previous generations has done. Well, I don't know if that's kind of a curious way to frame it because obviously they're in the best possible situation that has ever been. Hence all the whining now about ridiculous problems. 
but so they're in the best possible situation ever and I don't know if they have all that much to worry about other than like say you know mass climate change or global warming but they have the best tools built on the backs of the previous generation generations to be able to deal with that likely I mean what I anticipate is that at some point somebody's going to come up with a method for altering atmospherics without having to do a whole bunch of on the ground prophylaxis uh, you know but once we have all electric cars that's going to help somewhat and and I, I do think and this is one thing that Trump did a concrete thing I think he did away with a lot of the car maker the requirements of them making their cars more efficient and that sort of stuff and getting off oil and that bothers the hell out of me I think that is an excellent direction to be going and it's likely going to impact the Middle East in positive ways once we don't have to worry about that there'll be some growing pains of course but once that's not the basis of all of their wealth and it's not concentrated in a bunch of the wealthy aristocrats then I think that'll be very helpful but all right so that was Stephen Hawking big Stephen Hawking fan wasn't there a there's a terrible movie that was made about his life that I had an excellent performance by Eddie Redmayne but of Stephen Hawking right <laughs> but uh it was hor- I did not like that movie I thought it was it focused on all the wrong things it was it was like a, a soap opera version of something that should have been much bigger and like her role in it and all that stuff it should have been more substantive and not just uh, uh, I'm struggling with having to help you with things and now I've got a new boyfriend it's like come on she did more than that she had more of a role than that there's more there were more deep things that she had to deal with and and all that and more deep things that he had to deal with than just a freaking soap opera worth of film but whatever the case I really didn't enjoy it I bought it as a on iTunes it was with A Beautiful Mind so I just bought both of them which A Beautiful Mind's great so I had we watched it at some point and it was not super great alright so the next one a little lighter well I don't know how much lighter uh oh it doesn't look like oh no it's working okay went to web view though 16 everyday phrases with surprisingly dark origins okay mad as a hatter this one the mad hatter is one of the most beloved characters from Lewis Carroll's classic children's book Alice's Adventures in Wonderland while fans love him for his hilarious eccentricity the idea of a hatter being insane is actually based in history hat makers in the 18th and 19th centuries often suffered mental deterioration because of mercury poisoning what no way mercury poisoning okay I don't know how they got mercury from the hats but it makes sense it goes right on the brain right so cool meet a deadline is the second phrase the meaning of this common phrase will resonate with journalists who are used to being under fire for missing the occasional deadline we mean that literally because this phrase originally referred to an actual line drawn on civil war prison grounds beyond which escaping prisoners would be shot dead <laughs> Oh, that's rough. So they had... Okay, yeah, I like that. Don't cross this line. Jeez, they couldn't just have a wall? Oh my gosh. Be all, end all. William Shakespeare's plays mark the absolute height of literary excellence, but it is his enduring influence on everyday speech that matters to the modern person. You should be reading Shakespeare, you dicks. Stop using his phrases. It's appropriation. One of the hundreds of words and phrases that Shakespeare invented was the be all and end all. It describes a defining moment or element in a given situation. The first being when Macbeth was about to kill the king in one of Shakespeare's most famous tragedies. Okay, what is this? To have a fast, fun, ready joke. No, I don't want that. No. <laughs> Sorry about that. To wreak havoc. Wreaking havoc has never had a positive connotation, but today it is usually used in a metaphorical sense. Wreaking havoc in one's 
personal life. The literal cry of the word havoc on the battlefield used to grant soldiers permission to commit slaughter or other crimes to their heart's content. England outlawed this practice in the 1300s. Okay. Wash one's hand. How many phrases are these? I'm not going to go through all these. I'll uh, just, I'll pick one. Wash one's hands. I'll do this because it mentions Pontius Pilate. This is yet another phrase that comes from literature. The Bible tells the story of Pontius Pilate, who ultimately helps condemn Jesus Christ to death. When this happens, Pilate literally washes his hands and proclaims, it is simply not his problem. Oh, that's all that was behind that? Alright. Die Hard. Oh, I kind of want to know this one. Die Hard fan. Today, the word Die Hard usually refers to the movies. Die Hard 1, Die Hard 2, and Die Hard with a Vengeance. Not the other ones because those are not part of the canon. They're ridiculous and they suck. No, today the word Die Hard usually refers to an intense fan of something like a sports team. Historically, the word has been both an adjective and a command. In many different instances, instances a Die Hard is someone who fights as long and passionately as possible, making it difficult for others to kill them. Oh, okay. Yeah, I would have guessed, but running away, I don't know. Uh, pulling my leg. Well, that is a hell of a leg. Got gypped. I don't, I'm pretty sure I know where that comes from. Crocodile tears. What is that from? Someone who cries crocodile tears is someone who isn't actually sad at all, but just feigning the emotion in medieval times. However, it was a popular myth that the vicious predators would indeed feel sorrow for the prey that they had killed and ate. That they killed and ate. Um, alright, so, wait. So they felt, they thought that they felt sorrow, so therefore, they thought that the crocodiles cried, but the crocodiles didn't really cry, so that's why it's used now? So it was like going against, I don't know. Alright. Sold down the river... Bite the bullet. In black and white films and westerns, we often see a critically injured person chugging a bottle of whiskey before a crude on-the-go surgery or amputation, but soldiers who were in the middle of a battlefield didn't always have that luxury. So they would take a bullet from the ground or their weapon and bite on that instead. Oh, that's what that's from. Alright, it's good stuff. Bummer, I don't know. How many more? Uh, so the sneeze one, yeah, isn't that just, they thought the, wait, what, there are various, so this is God bless you. There are various theories about why people say God bless you after a sneeze, from the desire to prevent plague to the wish that your soul would remain in your body, saying this phrase after a sneeze, yeah, so, that's what I thought. A snafu, I don't know if that's from, nobody uses it anyway, taken aback, to be taken aback is to be caught off guard, yeah, this used to be quite literal, as the phrase originates from the idea that the most common ways to attack a person is from behind. Just ask Dwight. Ask Dwight. Alright, is that it? That's it! Okay, so that's... There was stuff going on there. Stuff going on. We are going on like 20 minutes here, so... A new... This is another one. A new study reveals the real reason Obama voters switched to Trump. Okay, what does it say? One of the most puzzling elements of the 2016 election, at least for a lot of Americans, was the millions of voters who switched from voting for Barack Obama in 2012 to Donald Trump in 2016. Somewhere between 6.7 million and 9.2 million Americans switched this way. Given that the 2016 election was decided by 40,000 votes. It's fair to say that Obama-Trump switchers were one of the key reasons that Hillary Clinton lost. So, I just want to find the... The study found strong evidence for racism and little for economic anxiety. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Okay, so they had a huge sample. Inside that huge sample, they restricted their analysis to white voters who switched their presidential vote for from 2012 to 2016. Why wouldn't they look at every other kind of voter, too, who switched? saying that none of them do. I don't... Alright. They split those into two. Okay. The results were quite striking. First, attitudes on race and immigration were crucial, distinguishing characteristics of both Trump and Clinton switchers. The more, the more racially conservative an Obama or third-party voter was, the more likely they were to switch to Trump. Similarly, the more racially liberal a Romney or third-party voter was, the more likely they were to switch to Clinton. 
So they're racially conservative but voted for Obama? I don't even know what, like, what does racially conservative mean? I'm not going to go read the study, so I'll just... Second class was largely irrelevant in switching to Trump, keeping racial attitudes constant. White working class voters were not more likely to switch to Trump. The white working class voters who did switch tended to score about as high on measures of racial conservatism and anti-immigrant attitudes as with wealthier switchers. And that's what I'm concerned, that it's just a complete conflation of things like immigration and race, and I, there aren't details here talking about... Because if they're racially conservative, why do they vote for... I don't even know what racially conservative means. And why didn't they look at everybody instead of just white people? I don't know. I'm not digging deeply into this, though. Okay, they try to answer here. The the Rennie et al. findings may seem counterintuitive. How can people who want a black man to run the country somehow become attracted to Trump because of his racial demagoguery? Good question. The unspoken premise behind this question is an assumption of a certain kind of white redemption narrative. By voting for Obama, white America exercises... Okay, this is just vague nonsense. Are you kidding me? So... I know the psychology of millions of people, and I can figure it out based on what? By voting for Obama, white America exercises racial demons, but the truth is nothing of the sort. For one thing, Obama lost the white vote by 12 points in 2008 and 20 points in 2012. So it's the white people's fault. Alright, well, that's... whatever. I just, it's so vague, it's like, I, I can interpret the inner workings of millions of people based on just my intuitions about what they're thinking? Shut the hell up. What are you talking about? Alright, so that that was that one. Uh, Mad and Not Having It with Brett Kavanaugh. That's the last one. October 16, 2018. Written by staff. Okay. <laughs> I'm mad. Period. Okay, so mad that I can spit, throw stuff, holla, make some noise. What is a righteous woman to do? I'm about to throw me a Kavanaugh. Wow. Okay. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh may have made it to the Supreme Court, but he also needs to make it to ignominy. In other words, he needs to go down in disgrace, not because he was accused of sexual assault. Okay, okay. Not because of Senate Democrats never got his work product they asked for from the Bush administration. Uh, not because there's some evidence that he perjured himself when he testified to the Senate during his hearing. Uh, possibly. Kevin needs to go down in disgrace because he is an intemperate, rude sexist who managed to maneuver himself onto the Supreme Court because his sponsor, the genital grabbing president of the United States, stood by him. Okay, I don't, like, I don't give any credence whatsoever to what this person has to say. <sighs> I mean, I guess it acknowledged that the, the assault allegations were incredibly questionable, but it's just, yeah, I mean, I talked about it, how there were a lot of things that I didn't like. Not his openings, like his initial speech. He can be angry as angry as he damn well pleases for having false accusations. Not only that, but having members of the Senate calling him evil. For what? For what? I, who knows? But it was a ridiculous charade and it was completely justified for him to, to have a problem with that in his opening. The problem I had was that he was not respectful thereafter. Like, after he got to say what he got to say, he should have been respectful in answering all the questions that he was asked, period. And I understand this kind of this uh, thing that I've got to defend myself and attack back, but uh, no, uh, you're a judge, you're trying to be on the bench, so I understand to that degree. But just saying generally because he was angry that that was sufficient to say that he's he can't be on the Supreme Court, it, just understand what that actually means. Oh my gosh. You have to put it in the context of, holy hell, you are being nominated from this, for the Supreme Court. You're in, in 
the national spotlight. You've been through six FBI investigations that had nothing bad to say about you. You just went through all these questions on the nomination and then finally last minute there are all these allegations about all kinds of crazy stuff and now we want to talk about oh my god he got over angry. I mean, even now as I'm thinking about holy hell do you are you considering this situation here? That's absolutely insane to be in that situation. Nobody has experienced that. The closest what? Clarence Thomas? I can't remember the, the particular circumstances of that, but he was angry too. He didn't go on a tirade, but he was angry too. Yeah, he used some choice language for <laughs> for the, the senators who were questioning him. But I, uh, oh my god. But anyway, for his outburst and his ignorance, he deserves to go down in history, not as a Supreme Court justice, but as a singular example of white male rage and privilege. What are you talking about? What is white male rage as opposed to somebody else's rage? And what is, I mean, white privilege is nonsense. Just get over it. But okay, uh, so this one is just throwing a fit because of his fit. Is that what this is all about? Kevin's outburst set a standard for outrageousness. <laughs> When women of color raise their voice and lose their tempers, think Serena Williams. <laughs> you really want to compare those situations. Are you effing serious? You mean that when Serena Williams was being ridiculous when she was losing? Uh, not the first time that she's done that either. And because it was a completely justified concern on behalf of the, the line judge because he saw her judge. <laughs> I mean, not her judge, her coach coaching her, which they're not supposed to do, uh, which the coach admitted to. You mean all that situation you're comparing to this situation? Are you kidding me? It's this whole thing of grouping people based on race. It's just grouping people generally based on race and saying, look, the entire group of all the people who have this particular race versus the entire group of all the people who have this particular race. And now let's pick out one thing here and one thing there and compare those. Look, it's racism. What the hell are you talking about? Nonsense. Utter, utter nonsense. Oh my god, I've yet to see a Kavanaugh cartoon that has lava coming out of his head or through his ears. I said lava. Oh my god. I remember the cartoons. Now they're like, no, look how they made her look. And they made the other one look so nice. And <laughs> oh, such nonsense. I can't stand it. Oh my god, I just want to know. All right, I'm going to try to give you... What's it? Julianne Malveaux? Um, sorry, I'll try to give you something here. Okay, where... I've got one that's not properly tabbed uh, over here. Then there's an adjective here. An adjective is descriptive, and Kavanaugh is sure enough a descriptive. Sure enough. Really? That was a Kavanaugh fool. She threw a Kavanaugh fit. I won't have a Kavanaugh worker in my- okay, whatever. I don't- that's just stupid. Uh, to Kavanaugh is to interrupt- uh, yeah, he interrupted a bunch, and uh, it was a tepid apology when he interrupted. I didn't want him to interrupt, so yeah, okay, we can just have some equal ground there. That I wish he didn't interrupt people. Just stop with it. Why do we have to do this? Why do we have to go through all this nonsense? Ah, uh, just to get readers because it worked on me. I I downloaded it because I thought it was it was ridiculous, and I'm reading it now. And is that just what they do? It, it just works. It works. That's why it happens. It's just it's a social media economy now. So I, I guess that's what it is. Maybe this person doesn't actually believe any of this nonsense, and she's very bright and is just doing this to get people to read it. I'm gonna believe that for my own sanity. All right, so that's that's the first one. Like I said, it's just I'm just trying to get rid of these articles because I've got way too many of them. Bigger ones I'm going to do by themselves, but otherwise I'm going to try to do six like this for each time. It's going to clock in at about whatever that is, and then we'll be good. But that was that was the last coffee house, or coffee, <laughs> whatever. So, I don't know. But that was that. Thanks for listening. I hope all is well.